Hello and welcome to Talking Indonesia podcast. I'm your host, Gemma Purdy from Monash University. Today's topic is Indonesia's environment and the politics surrounding its protection. Indonesia's environmental challenges, including and especially the impacts caused by deforestation of its vast forests, we know has implications for global carbon levels and for the wildlife who depend on these forest ecosystems, but also for the peoples who make their livelihoods from and whose cultures are intimately linked to these lands. How is Indonesia addressing the challenge of both protecting its environment and sustaining the economic activities, including palm oil exports it so desperately depends on? What are the roles of government, business and civil society in facing these challenges? And how has the Jokowi government responded? To explore this topic, we're joined by Professor Suraya Afif from the University of Indonesia. Suraya has been involved in environmental groups in Indonesia and her research focuses on agrarian and environmental politics. Hello, Suraya, and welcome to Talking Indonesia. Thanks very much for being here. Thank you, Gemma, for having me and hi to you too. Now, I thought we might start on a positive note. Can you describe for us some of the achievements that Indonesia's made on environmental issues and conservation in the past five to ten years? I think my positive note is there are more, especially young generation of Indonesia that care for environment. They are more pushing to have change in an environmental activities in Indonesia. For example, they are more, uh, although there's a middle class, I have to admit, that want to conserve, for example, elephants, tiger, which is, that's is kind of positive to me, that a lot more people care about wildlife, about the environment in Indonesia in general. These are kind of, in a way though, they're a little bit celebrity popular issues, would you say? Yeah, middle class. For example, I watch Facebook and social media. Now it pop up, you know, like, don't kill the tiger. We have to, you know, make the government listen or elephant and things like that. So it's a start. For the middle class, of course, if you look at anybody in the world that care about environment, that's kind of a middle class. But of course, outside of that, there are people, also local people, that still want to conserve something that they care about because their livelihood. And this is kind of collaboration between middle class and people who are trying to prevent their environment to be cleared up for plantation or monoculture commodities like that. So it's growing. That's my positive side of, of the what happened in Indonesia, I think. Right. So an awareness raising and some beginnings of collaboration between the middle classes mm. with their interests and concerns and the people mm-hmm. who live in the areas. So what are the challenges then, Soraya? I'm, ass- I'm assuming there are many, but what do you think are the most pressing environmental challenges? Yeah, of course, 
the most challenging one is actually how to make this concern materialize in the local and the ground. Yeah, because there is a lot of interest as well in the government, in the business to convert or to clear up the land for plantations. Uh, I'm not against, you know, completely against plantation or you know, uh, but it's in the way that it's actually make problem to the local people or to the area that should be conserved. Yeah? For example, national park or area that important for the local people, the forest, the water that comes from the forest, the livelihoods, the product and things like that that concern local people. So yeah, I mean, that's the... the getting the balance. The getting the balance and of course the you know, more in the local policy, it's hard to get because it's a campaign and things like that. It's not easy to get politicians to back up these efforts, yeah. Right. So just to go back to the point that you said about the middle classes being interested mm-hmm. in saving the elephants, etc., it really comes down to what you've just described, and that is the problem of deforestation in Indonesia, yes, and mm-hmm. trying to find a way that can enable the local peoples who live off the forests and in the forests to continue to do that, but also to preserve the environment and save those animals. So you pointed to the different levels that have interests in these areas, in business development of them, in government regulations around them. So can you say a little bit about what processes are there in Indonesia now to remedy these problems or to solve these problems? I have to say that this current government allows civil society groups environmental groups and uh, those who concern about supporting local peoples to have a sustainable livelihood, right? Mm-hmm. That forces now is actually able to be facilitated by a national level. So a lot of now collaboration between the government and some of government institutions in the national level with the civil society groups. Of course, in Indonesia, you know, it's huge. You cannot just have strong interest uh, group or collaboration international. They're also trying to work this through a program that actually assist the local people to have a sustainable living. Um, this is in, in a huge way now. It's called broadly as a social forestry which is giving local community access to forests. And they were uh, giving land that they can manage through collaboration with the group, with NGO, the local NGO. There is an effort between the local and the national NGOs to work this out. It's not just giving the local people access, but how to help them to develop this land or this how to you know manage this forest right so don't just here's the land and off you go but right. actually yeah, yeah assist with yes. new new ideas for how they can do better Exactly. For the environment, yeah. I see. So that's that the civil society end. And you're saying that the government is facilitating or supporting? Yeah, that's, that's work closely with the government now. Especially the new Minister of Environment and Forestry are quite open on facilitating these collaborations. The coming together of the Ministry for Environment and Forestry, is that quite recent? Or? Right, it's quite recent. Uh, since the Joko Widodo uh, become a president, his government decided to combine the Minister of Forestry and Environment. Don't ask me why. We're also surprised, but it's already happened. But luckily that he 
that he choose uh, somebody that it's a woman uh, minister, first woman minister in the very important institution uh, in Indonesia, never before. I think she's really opened the door for uh, civil society to work together to improve the access for local communities. It's not easy because for a long time there's already uh, such program is basically stagnant. But now it is the time for them to do something good. Why do you think that that has happened? What influences do you think are on the government that have made it change its perspective? I think leadership. I think the president himself, if you know, President Jokowi is graduated from the forestry department at Gajamada. So he's understand the forestry sector. And he chose somebody that turned out she's very a progressive person. And slowly the NGO trusts her and she chose a good director general that willing to work with civil society. So I think the, the most important thing is leadership. And, and how about international pressures? Environmental NGO actually receive a lot of support for it from the international funding institution, collaborative with the international NGO. But what I'm saying is that already happened for a long time. But now, since the leadership of the government opened up the more collaborative effort and more effective. So when you have support from the international and you have the uh, cohesive network and find the network uh, local, from the local to national, and you have a progressive bureaucrats, this combination actually makes a lot of effective change in terms of the environmental issues in Indonesia. Exactly. Right. So can you paint a picture or describe for us an example of what that change looks like? Your work is particularly in uh, central Kalimantan. Can you describe a little bit about the field where you've done your research and how you've seen this actually change mm-hmm. in that place? Well, yeah, I'm my research focus in central Kalimantan. One of the reasons that Central Kalimantan is important because it's it have a huge area of peatland. And during the Suharto government, they actually cleared the peatland. He attempted to clear the land for rice production. It's failed. They already cleared the land. They already make the cut the land into river and irrigations. Irrigation. But fail. It's completely failed. So we inherited a place where already basically in a mess. So one of that uh, issues actually how to rehabilitate that mm-hmm. that area. The area is actually now the the people in the local and the national and the in regional trying to find ways to make the peatland is actually not completely uh, destroyed. It's already you know in the in the mess, but how to you know make it rehabilitate mm. and prevent the fire, because this is also important, the peatland, uh, once the peatland uh, get in fire, it's very difficult to control the fire, especially if the fire come in the ground. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then this creates the haze. That they we create the haze. Uh, that is another uh, issue that this government dealing with how to work to end the fire. Yeah, it's slowly getting better. But uh, of course, it's not enough because it's already happened, you know, for 
10 years, you know, more. How the fire is coming there? So because they're being cleared by illegal farming? Uh, cleared by, uh, especially in central Kalimantan, is by this uh, mega rice project. And then the second one is illegal logging. And third one is by uh, oil palm plantation. Right. Do you describe a situation where at least in a small part Mm. of this area, that the local peoples, the forest people, have become engaged in that rehabilitation and conservation Mm -hmm. project. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, the Jokowi government actually formed a new institution called the Pitland Agencies, BRG, Badan Restorasi Gambut, the Pitland Rehabilitation Agency. What is the purpose of the Pitland Rehabilitation Agency is actually working with the people, the villagers who around or within this, you know, area. I think it's in the past two years, they already started activities, planting and trying to rehabilitate the land with the trees on the community that switched to the peatland area. Hopefully with social forestry as well, they give an area that the local people can actually develop sustainable living. And this area actually now also trying to prevent another permits uh, right. for for corporations. And with the corporation that's already there, they have to change the way they do the plantations practice. You know, some agree and some not. I mean, you know, of mm-hmm. course, some of them are not, you know, happy. Resistant. Resistant mm. with the change, but eventually I think they have to... So the change would be better practice? The or? better practice, and even they have to abandon some area to be clear more. Mm-hmm. And those who are illegal, they will be prosecuted, but it's slowly, yeah? Mm. Because uh, all palm uh, business people actually have network with the government. So that is another challenge, actually, how to break that connection because they have a powerful connection, not only in the national but local, within the executive and the parliament and things like that. So so that's another challenge, but it's going there. So at the local regional level, the permits are granted there or higher up? The permit allocation for the area was granted by the local government. But they have to get another permit to make it permanent from the national government. So now the permit from the national government, I think since Joko Widodo became a president, they stopped giving permits to large-scale corporation in this area, in central Kalimantan. I think they are also in other places. So you talk about the Segundis people who are living sustainable in the forest in central Kalimantan? Yeah, I think there is a couple communities that's not just, you know, one communities in Kalimantan. Of course, the community who live in the pitland area actually already have problem because their rattan have been clear and things like that. But other area that has not been cleared up in the up Kapuas, for example, area, mm-hmm. that's still a good forest over there that people agree to not clear to be a plantation. So, yeah, it, there are pockets of people. Yeah. The and so they've become agents of their own kind of destiny in a way. They've been empowered to engage new practices and mm-hmm. protect the forest. Is that Yeah, basically... 
What happened is that, first of all, they need to convince that their livelihood could be sustained yeah, uh, through uh, recognition of their tenure. Because this is also a problem in Indonesia. A lot of the local people, although they have claim, the state not recognize their claim. So the first step is to make them recognized by the state that they have an area and this area are protected. That is the social forestry program and also recognition of the customary forests right, right now, the adat forests. So first thing is to make government recognize their tenure claim. And that, that is what, since Jokowi government was in power, this is something that civil society and the government at the national has been worked on. Right. How to make recognition of land tenure rights. And that is the first, but it cannot stop there. So the NGO helped the local people to figure out because, you know, the young generation of this group is actually wants to have, you know, modernization, right? But, of course, this young generation need to be trained. Some of my friends actually working with the young generation of the local community, introduce a new ways, but not forgetting what they already have, the technology and the system. So make them confident that they could live in this kind of land. So the NGO is also helping to have a network with other business that are willing to collaborate with this community. They also generate income, new ways of okay. trading or new ways of packaging the, the product. So this this Really, thing, really practical yes, engagement, you, you skills to, training. Yeah. Right. You have to work... With the practical aspect too, we cannot just, you know, give in the land right and then not continue working with them. And how are these ideas being taken up? Are they being absorbed or are they seen as ideas from the outside? No, I think they really like it. For example, every year, this is already two times, the Minister of Forestry, especially the Social Forestry Unit. Is this a new unit? A very new unit, actually, in the forestry history in Indonesia. There is no... Director General, high, you know, high-ranking unit dealing with social forestry that actually care about communities. So this is something very excited uh, that they develop this unit. Also, the second one is actually I, I forgot to mention. Now they are dealing also with conflict. Conflict is part of the new program in the Minister of Environment Forestry. Of course, we already, you know, telling the government this conflict has to be resolved and things like that. But even though the NGO trying to resolve this conflict, for quite some time. For quite some time. But without support from the national and the local government, it cannot be resolved in a more effective and more uh, long-term way. What yeah. kinds of conflicts are you talking about? A lot of them is actually land tenure conflicts. So, for example, the government uh, give uh, permits to the corporation and the corporation come to the area taking away the land a lot of time. It's without compensation, without consent and they just clear the land and the people don't know that the land has been cleared when they come forward and claim it and they said, oh, you don't have a paper. Prove us. We have a paper from the national government. Mm. So this is the land that we are given to clear for plantation. There's a lot of 
violation and on the ground for example they supposed to give a certain amount area of land then they encroach no one you know check you know how large they open the no land no one checks no one checks and this is the first time that we demanding check the land if it correctly uh, what the license mm. uh, tell about the, how large the land is. So a lot of the conflict is actually about land tenure. Yeah, and claim. the borders and that kind and of thing. And the borders. So yeah. you mentioned that, well, obviously the recognition of the adult tenure is going to be a big part of helping to resolve that. Yes. But also, what about enforcement? Is this coming? This is coming, although I have to say it's not easy because those who legal or illegal open the land, clear the land for a big corporation are well connected with the government, the parliaments, local and national. So uh, you have a conflicting interest within the government itself. So you have a good, you can say progressive bureaucrats, but progressive bureaucrats also sometimes have a problem to enforce because this owned by so-and-so well connected from the local to the national even from this in the inner circle of the president so this is the challenge that we have actually yeah so this is this this is a big challenge this is Mm -hmm. what you describe in some of the writing that I've read of yours which is about the structural forces that are at play here and as much as the NGOs are working so well at all those levels and as Mm -hmm. you describe it at the end of the day that's where it gets stopped and that's where it's so difficult you're talking in positive terms about the changes that have occurred since the Jokowi government came into power. But then your last point just there, you indicated that even very close to the president, there are these kinds of influences and interests. Can you just say a little bit about, is it the palm oil industry really that we're talking about, where these interests yeah, lie? Mostly it's the palm oil industry. It's a very lucrative industry, make a lot of profits. And this palm oil industry also well connected with elections. Anyone, I think, in many places, election that also involve contribution from the oil palm business um, circle. Right. So, so it's grown up during the New Order period, yes, this industry, and those connections into politics and even with electoral politics remain really deep Yes. and embedded. What about... Palm oil in terms of, you know, we we hear about the international campaigns to shift from palm oil products and this kind of thing, not making an impact. The trade is still booming in palm oil. Is is that the case? The other difficulties, especially in the palm oil business, is actually it's also 40% productions of CPOs come from smallholder. Right. So whenever you have, for example, boycott, yeah, it affects smallholders as well. So to differentiate that, it's not easy because of if you're doing something, enforcing something large scale. For example, now uh, there's beginning of demanding of certification, demanding reducing uh, palm oil for a certain area and things like that. I think it's important and is still uh, valuable, but how that could be translated to more progressive and effective way to differentiate the good from the bad, right? Mm-hmm. And that is the more difficult one with the palm oil. Indonesian civil society, I don't think they see it as one of the solutions. 
Of course, how the international community can change, of course, through financing it. How you finance the sector should be changed, because a lot of this oil palm is financed by banks that take from Australia, from United States, from Europe. So that is one level of the role of international community to change the way the bank finance the sector. Right. Of course, it's on certain standards, yeah, and practices. It's yeah. I mean, um, yeah, but it's not enough. It has to be something that also coming from Indonesian government, Indonesian society. Yeah, this is a big issue in Indonesia. This is about money politics, yep. isn't it? Underlying all of this, so even at the highest levels, politicians and political parties still rely on this money from business to run their campaigns. And even someone like Joko Widodo, who has been very popular president, do you think in as we move towards the next presidential elections and parliamentary elections, that he'll still be relying on that money? I think very difficult if he completely ignore this sector. Because this is a major sector that Indonesia rely on for export, so I cannot imagine any president in Indonesia can ignore this sector. But we hope he will be willing to take a hard work to revise this sector, and it is possible if he wanted, or people who around him would like to have this sector change. We are not completely against oil palm in general. We would like to make this sector change in terms of clearing land, make more responsible in managing the land, not using forests, especially at a large scale, and relationship with the smallholder. I think the issue right now in in a lot of Asian society is not the oil palm per se, but how that one commodity basically make the sector monoculture. And if you have a district where you clear almost the district with the uh, with the one community, that is the problem. You assign a huge area for a few companies. That is the problem. Mm. And that is the case, is it? Yes, that's what's going on. There's not enough diversification of yeah. agriculture and too much reliant upon this one commodity. Yeah, that is also dangerous. Exactly dangerous for business. You would think that they would not. Think it was a great model. Yeah, yeah. But the local people who rely on this business, they will be in trouble. Exactly. Yeah. So you've outlined some things that can be done, and Jokowi, you think has the capacity as a leader to do them, right? I don't know, but we don't have any choice. So we have to help him to make it happen. There's him. What about other MPs? Do you think that it's it's an idea that's growing and getting? Yes, I think. For example, he, you know, as a president, he cannot doing anything by himself, right? No, he has to be supported. Got to bring the people, bring yeah. the parliament. So I think the the minister of environment and forestry right now, she's she's also very progressive. She's also understand the dangerous to have monoculture, to have the forest, all the forest clear up for oil, oil palm, but need more people like her willing to support. And I believe the more we educate people, the more we push this politician, the more we will have district uh, bupati, uh, the the head of the bupati, the provincial governor, who willing to trying to find ways 
not just relying on one community. Yeah. And to go back to your very first point, when I asked about what are the positive things that are going on, and you mentioned young people in the middle classes, but still it's an expanding middle class in Indonesia and their concerns and, you know, their voters. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a positive note. Yeah. So hopefully we can end it there and, and that will be a signal for the future. Thank you very much, Soraya, for joining us. Thank you, Yama, for having me. That was Soraya Afif from the Department of Anthropology at the University of Indonesia. Soraya is also involved with the NGO Samdana Institute and with Walhi, the leading environmental NGO in Indonesia. Talking Indonesia will return on the 12th of April, hosted by Charlotte Setijadi. Remember, you can find the entire Talking Indonesia podcast archive at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog. Subscribe via iTunes so you'll never miss an episode or find us via your favourite podcasting app. Until next time, this has been the Talking Indonesia podcast. Thanks for listening and bye for now.